And then there's challenging your friend to the death horny. Mm -hmm. And I've never been to that side of the spectrum, but who knows? Maybe one day, one mm -hmm. day, like Spock, I might take my friend out and say, look, we got to ponfar this out and we're going to settle it. But I hope that that day doesn't come because that's a level of horny that I don't ever want to be. It is perhaps only a level of horny that could be imagined by Gene Roddenberry himself. I not shocking whatsoever. <laughs> oh my word! Welcome everyone to Red Shirts. Hello. Uh, this is our season two opener. Season what a two. fucking opener! Season two, a and mock like, time. Oh. That's right. We start off with Spock fucking. It's the Spock fuck episodes. Everyone knows the Spock fuck episodes. Episode. Yes, I was going to say, here we go. We're going to drop our favorite word when it comes to episodes of Star Trek. This is an iconic episode. Mm -hmm. This truly is an episode. Like, I knew about Spock's, you know, yep. horny thingy before. And I didn't know Ponfar was the name of it, you know, when, when you first had brought it up to me. Um, but I knew what it was. And, of course, this is Back to Futurama. So many mm -hmm. references within this single episode. We'll get to it when it comes, but like a whole episode of, of Futurama is a parody of this episode. Yup. It's fantastic. Yup. And it is, it is one of the most beloved. It is one of the most highly acclaimed. It is one of the most uh, remembered of all of the Star Trek episodes. Uh, in fact, it was the fifth one shot for season two but they're like nah this has got to be the opener this has to be gotta, our gotta first get one this. yep i don't blame them it's so well acted so mm. well paced it's written really well it's not it's oh it's really funny too how they they navigate the fact that it is spock wanting to fuck with without breaking the code of the 60s yep. of what we can say on tv what analogies we can use i did not expect to ever hear kirk say the birds and the bees but mm. here we are here we are here we are that's right uh we're right here in a mock time written quote unquote mostly written by theodore sturgeon and directed by Joseph Pevney. Joseph Pevney, we of course know from Arena. Um, yes. As well as other episodes. And he was hired for the second season with Mark Daniels for them to be the rotating main directors of the series. Um, so Very cool. We'll see a lot more of him 
coming up. And it was, of course, written by Theodore Sturgeon. Do you remember what other episode was written by Theodore Sturgeon? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I remember we talked about Sturgeon's Law, which is 90% of everything is crud. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know... I don't know which episode he directed. I can't remember. He did not direct. He wrote it. Or wrote. He wrote. Dun, dun, dun. Shore leave. That's right. Oh, my God. The one that Roddenberry had to rewrite as it was being filmed. Yes. In in Safari, USA. Yes. (laughs) The one where they had an elephant on set and never got a shot of it. Which this is a total aside, and I don't want to derail things too early. Um, I was watching a Red Letter Media uh, Best of the Worst video. Love it. And there was a place called, like, Journey to Dinosaur you, Dinosaur Land or something like that. And something about where they were felt weird and familiar. And I looked it up. And it was the organization that ran safari usa (gasps) but they had moved by that point but some of just what the look and the layout was was familiar enough to me to 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 do the to to do the to bother to research to figure out is this actually the same thing or not and yeah it's oh i the did this episode have to be rewritten or was this dropped on gene's desk and he's like a fucking masterpiece literally a fucking <laughs> a little bit of both a little bit of both this one a lot easier to write than shore leave um theodore surgeon had kind of gotten like a little bit more of the the deets but he was assigned this story basically right after shore leave um right after oh. he had gotten that assignment um it was supposed to be in the first season of star that Trek. makes sense but of yeah, course, uh, for development, a character. Yes, uh, Theodore Sturgeon, um, as as they knew from Shore Leave, took for fucking ever to write anything. He just could not deal with the kinds of timelines that happen with TV and with shooting stuff. Um, Sounds like about fifty percent of the writers that were dealt with in the first season. Pretty fucking much. Pretty fucking much. Um, he also wrote two unproduced story outlines, um, which ended up sort of just being shuffled off into Star Trek books, etc. But yeah, um, this, of course, the concept was come up with by Gene Roddenberry hanging out with Bob Justman and he's like and, and Coon and he's like, how do Vulcans fuck? You know, it, how do they? Very Gene Roddenberry thing to do um they told uh sturgeon and the first story concept came back from sturgeon with the title spock blows top (laughs) i wish there's a part of me that wishes that was i mean a muck time is a really great name but god spock blows his top would uh Especially if you had asked me, what do you think happens in the episode Spock blows his top? Hmm, I wonder. Hmm, I wonder. I wonder. But he was so Sturgeon, despite the fact that he always turned in shit late, um, was really well liked by the Star Trek staff because he had a really like intense imagination, you know? Um, 
and they were they were quite pleased uh, with that. And he was also a pretty nice guy. You know, of all the people who were like kind of angry about rewrites, he was the most chill. He was more just like, I'm hurt and then was chill about it. And apparently, um, according to Arlene Martell, who plays Tapring in this episode, he was on set during filming and he came and introduced himself to her. And he's like, hi, I'm Theodore Sturgeon. I made you. You're my creation. And she's Hello. like, you You're welcome. didn't write, you didn't create me. You wrote about me. I, I created me. God created Hell me. Yeah. And he was like, that's badass. And they became friends. Um, and apparently he was a nudist. That's how I learned that. Cause she's like, yeah, oh. he was, he was really nice. And also a nudist. I mean, not assuming not on set, but just in general. <laughs> Presumably. Just express the opinion. Yeah, 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 yeah. So after the second draft, though, that, of course, came in way, way, way late. Far too late for it to be done as a first season episode. Um, they only let him get through two drafts before they're like, DC, Dorothy, Dorothy Fontana, <laughs> will you help us? Will you save us? Mm. And she did. Because she was the story editor at this point. And she's also a super badass. You'll remember that for The Devil in the Dark, there was a question of who came up with the idea that the creature would be the mother of its race. And Jean was like, Roddenberry was like, yeah, Jean Kuhn came into my office and was like, what should I do? And I came up with this idea. And he said, Roddenberry, you're a genius. Um, we did learn, however, that he probably got that idea from an unsolicited script that had come in just just a couple weeks earlier. Um, yeah, we'll learn about that later. Um, right. DC Fontana instead said, mostly, again, it was pulling things together that were not Star Trek and making them Star Trek. Uh for example, there were glitches in the first scene, the scenes where like a character will be like, hey, Kirk, did you hear about what happened to Spock? Well, it's like this. And she's like, we are doing a television show where you show, not tell. You don't tell, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, that she put <laughs> did in- Did you hear that Spock threw a fit? Do you hear he blew his top? Oh, yeah, I didn't heard that. It'd be great if I had seen it. Too bad there's no way for us to visualize it. Too bad. She definitely did a lot of changes to Topring's character, um, as well as the other female characters in this fucking episode. Um, but she said that uh, delving into the Vulcan culture that no one had ever seen before, the ceremony, the formality, this woman who was the head of the council to Pau was all basically Sturgeon. And she, like, okay. with a lot of episodes that she wrote on, forwent any writing credit because she was just, like, a super stand-up person. And she's like, oh, those ideas weren't mine. I just made it workable for TV, which is a massive fucking job. Like, that is yep. a huge part of the writing. But, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of... All I have for the top before we get into this episode, Missy, are you ready to blow top? 
Of course I'm ready. How dare you ask me such a question? What are you doing here with your insolence, daring to disturb me while I record? <laughs> Throwing food across the room. We open on Captain Kirk climbing up through the Jeffries tube into the hallway outside of Spock's room, where Dr. McCoy approaches him to be like, hey, have you, uh, have you noticed anything fucking weird about Spock? that's going that's going on it's almost like you know he's restive he's it's almost like he's nervous and he's been avoiding food and kirk's like i don't know that just sounds like mr spock like he's always kind of fucking restive and and closed off what are you yeah. talking about but that's when we see um nurse chapel show up with like a with a thing of soup and they're like, oh, what's that? She's like, oh, it's a traditional Vulcan soup. You know, Mr. Spock hasn't been eating. And McCoy's all like, oh, you never stop trying, do you? Um, <laughs> very funny. What a casual way to just talk to your uh, subordinate about their crush on another person in the workplace. Right. Which, has it been established that she has a crush on Spock? Or is this Someone. something that... Okay. Um, In... The uh, the second episode, The Naked Time, it is implied that there's something going on. She's just like, Spock, like, you know our feelings. But everyone is acting crazy in that episode. Oh, yes. So okay. that was sort of the question. So originally, Theodore Sturgeon had written a new character for to be the person on the ship who loves Mr. Spock, who's into Mr. Spock this episode. He had written a girl, Maggie, a little ensign, okay. like a like a new ensign, a fucking yeah, yeoman, not even an ensign, a child, and um, that's why. Ooh, okay, wow, weird. Like, can, can I take child. a guess what happened? Oh, please. Gene stepped in and he said, "Yeah, yeah, we can do that." Or how about my hot girlfriend here? We could put her in the role. That could be an idea that would work. She's already a character. So you would think, you would think, Missy, <gasps> but. Apparently, Jean's desire to see new women in short skirts trumped even that. It was DC Fontana. Okay, that's like, shocking. Yeah, it was DC Fontana who was like, why don't we use Christine Chapel? Because, quote, Christine is at least a mature women, woman who we have met before and not some drippy-eyed kid that we don't care about. Uh Needless to say, any replacement of Maggie by Christine would also require a different approach to the character and our feelings for Spock on a much more adult level. Agreed. Also, it would raise the question, which in later Star Treks, mm -hmm. we have younger Absolutely. people, but there, there's no children on the Enterprise. Not like, there's on not this anyone, one. I believe, under 18. Now we know in future seasons, like the character of Wesley played mm -hmm. by Will Wheaton was obviously a prodigy. And so that kind of breaks with that mold. And people also yeah, have their the children series. on the ship. Like they have, they're allowed that... to have their own kids. They're, that's okay. a whole thing with next gen. Um, but we don't, but in the original series, that's, yes. we don't see that. No. Okay. There is a 17 year old um, yeoman um, in Charlie X, but it's implied that, you know, she's of working age or whatever. That yeah. like people come of age and they they do these jobs, and it would still be weird for a seventeen-year-old yeah. to be into Mister Spock, or rather, for them to suggest anything about it. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so that's why we need women in the writer's room to be like, how about instead of a child, um, we just use an adult character and make it an adult relationship. How about that? All the men going through there looking at it. No problems here. This sounds great. Oh, hell yeah. Woman's like, actually, actually? Um, there are broader implications mm. here if we stop for mm. half a second. Mm. And you know that it went over like gangbusters because she was basically just being like, hey, Roddenberry, what if we put your hot girlfriend in instead of some like, other hell shit? Hell yeah. And he's like, fucking sweet. The idea didn't come from me. Look, NBC, it didn't come from me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so back in the episode, we see Chapel. She opens, you know, the door to talk to Mr. Spock. And McCoy is like, nah, like Mr. Spock told me that if I pry into his business, he'll break my neck. That is particularly unspock-like. Uh what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never heard like Spock is the most anti-violent yeah. person. He is all about, you can talk out of situation, mm-hmm. you can use diplomacy, you can use your cunning. Like, he'll get down to it if they're being attacked. Yeah. But he very rarely is the one to draw first blood. And also, it's very respectful of his colleagues. So to oh, yeah. open, before even our cold open, yeah. to hear, oh, yeah, he's going to break someone's neck. Yeah. Like, fuck. Spock, what are you doing? What's going on? And this is- You ever been so horny you want to break a colleague's neck? (laughs) Um, And we know exactly that this is the case because um, Spock's door opens, Nurse Chapel comes screaming outside, and then we see the bowl of soup just fly out of the room and hit the wall. And he's just like, if I want something, I'll fucking ask for it! screaming at her and, and this purple goo comes out of it too which yeah. makes me wonder what delicacy is that color of purple right <laughs> and and i mean i know they have alien food but i was also just like oh okay they just th- clearly filled a bowl full of paint and then mm-hmm. just threw that at a wall mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but of course he has poked his head outside of his door at this point to scream at nurse, Cha- nurse chapel and he sees kirk and mccoy and he's like Captain, I need, like, can, I, I'm requesting a leave of absence to Vulcan. And Kirk's like, he, my dude, like, what is up? Like, what's going on? And he says, all, like, my request has been made. All that is required of you is to answer it. Yes or no. And he goes back in his fucking room. Space. The final frontier. Spock becomes an unruly teenager, part one. <laughs> part one. Um, a couple of changes in this intro. The electric violin was replaced by a lady's voice. Just going, Aah. Yes, I was so excited yeah. by that because that's how I knew the Star Trek theme was with this uh, singing voice. So when I heard her going through, I was just so absolutely like, Magnificent. We also have uh, the new changes to the intro, wherein it says Star Trek created by Gene Roddenberry first. Then it says starring William Shatner and also Leonard Nimoy. And then and uh, Leonard Leonard McCoy, DeForest Kelly as Leonard McCoy. Um, The reason why Gene's name now appears at the top of the episode is because 
he was pissy at Leonard Nimoy because Leonard Nimoy was getting so much fucking fan mail that they oh, were forced he... <laughs> to keep him on as Mr. Spock. They wanted to replace him because his agent yeah. asked for a 900% increase to his per episode pay. He went from like 1300 bucks, which is not very much, especially for the second lead of the show. Leonard mm-hmm. Nimoy is like, pay me double, like pay me 2500 And his agent is like, I know how important Spock is to the series. Give us 9000 Which, of course, freaked the fuck out of Desilu. Because they were- It's over 9000 They were already in the fucking hole because of Star Trek. So we'll learn oh, more- really? About that, yes. They were fucked. Star Trek never, ever came in on budget. Um, they had also slashed Star Trek's budget because they were, you know, struggling, yeah. essentially. Um, so it would not have been feasible to pay Leonard Nimoy $9,000 per episode. Um, but that's okay, because Leonard Nimoy only wanted 2500 It was his agent who was wilding out. But we'll see. It's, here's um, what it is. Hmm. It, it's the... I want this much, so I'm going to come in with an outlandish mm-hmm. offer mm-hmm. so that when we go down to, like, my 2500 it seems much, much more reasonable. Which is funny because Leonard Nimoy was like, ask for 3000 and we'll agree on 2500 No, no, 9000 NBC, however, so we'll see sort of how they tried to deal with this um, later in this episode. They tried to deal with it by hiring another dude to play the Vulcan on the bridge. He wouldn't be Mr. Yes. Spock, but he'd be another guy. Um, yeah, I, I know who it is. Uh-huh. And I, I, we'll get into We will get into oh, that. We will. We're going to learn more about that. Oh, yes. And it was a character that I was... Because I know in season one, we, we did talk about this, but mm-hmm. we didn't get into the whole negotiations. I just remember the actor, because I believe they played... A Romulan they did. in the first season? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They were one of the it's Romulans who I think it is. in the first season. Um, so we're gonna learn more about that in this very episode. Oh. So we reopen on Spock and Kirk in Spock's room, and Kirk's like, What the fuck did you just do to Nurse Chapel? Like, what the actual fuck is happening? And Spock's like, it is grot- uh, It is unseemly for a woman to play servant to a man that is not hers. Okay. Sexism okay. Coming Spock, what Whoa. the fuck? Hey, what are you, a uh, fucking, uh... oh, God, Klingon. I yeah. almost thought Klingon was the wrong word, but it is a Klingon. Um, which is interesting, because I don't think that Klingons end up being as patriarchal. Uh, just in later series. Um, yeah. But uh, Kirk's like, look, you have to be fucking straight with me right now. What is happening? And why do you need to go to Vulcan? Is there a problem that's going on? Are you ill? Is What specifically about your home world is going to help you out? And Because I want to be able to help you. Yeah. Um. And... Spock kind of softens a little bit and he's like no like captain I really need to take my leave on Vulcan because Kirk's of course like look we're about to go to Altier 6 
you can have as much time as off as you want there. Like, this isn't a problem. And, yeah. and Spock's like, no, I really need to go to Vulcan. And behind his back, he's holding a pen and his hand is shaking. He is working <sighs> so hard to keep his, like, measured sort of delivery with the captain. Um, and Kirk is just like, dude, like, you got to tell me what is wrong. And Spock's just like, look, I need to go home and I need rest. And I hope that you will accept that as an answer that I can't say. It's just what I need. And Kirk is like, you know what? Like, he gives him this look and he, you know, goes to call the bridge and he's like, let's divert to Vulcan. Like, yeah. let's get our asses to Vulcan and then we'll get to Altier 6. It'll be fine. Like, get my boy where he needs to go. Which is so sweet. I just love all the relationships in this episode. Yeah, it's, it is, we get thrown, we get the thruple bromance oh, to the fullest the in this one. fullest. Um, and they sort of uh, pan the camera and we see the rest of the inside of Spock's room. And it's like these lush, like red curtains hanging from the wall. There's mm -hmm. a statue of a lion holding an orb and the orb is glowing. Um, there's all these weapons and like armor. So Matt Jeffries, the set designer, felt that Spock's quarters uh, could be used to suggest other things about his home planet that we don't have the opportunity to show. Um, he imagined them giving evidence to the hidden side of Vulcan's personality, sort of the, the opposite of Spock's cool, which yeah. was so cool of him. Matt Jeffries fucking knocks it out of the park for this episode. So unfortunately, back on the bridge, the ship gets a call from Starfleet Command and they're like, hey, you cannot go to Vulcan right now. You need to get your asses to Altier 6. Like, yep. there is a really important diplomacy that you are needed for. Like, you're just your presence is important for. We are in a really delicate position with these people. And Spock is on the bridge at this time. And Kirk's just like, fuck. All right, we're going to Altier 6. And he walks over to Spock and he's like, I'm sorry, man. Like, you heard it. As soon as we're done with that, I promise we'll get you to Vulcan. I'll give you whatever you need. And he gives Finagle's Law that any home ports we go to will be someone else's. That's such a cute line. And I wonder if I didn't look up if there's a real Finagle's Law. Um, but it just sounds like such a Navy thing. It sounds like such an Army thing that I'm sure that that's a real thing that they heard in the military. Uh, Finagle's law. Finagle's law of dynamic negatives is usually rendered as anything that can go wrong will at the worst possible moment. Mm. So he has a lot of laws. by John Campbell Jr. Oh, oh. Um, that's really cute then that they use that name to be like yeah. the, the sayer of another law of theirs. And um, in fact, if you pull up Finagle's law, it says in the Star Trek episode of Muck Time, Captain Kirk mm -hmm. tells Buck, as one of Finagle's laws puts, any home port the ship makes will be somebody else's, not mine. Not mine. Yeah. Um, and Spock is like, I understand. Um, and walks, you know, off the bridge to go to his quarters or somewhere else. 
But we see Kirk later in his bed, and he also has an orb behind him, but not a glowing one. Uh, I just Yeah, just a normal orb. And you can tell that he's not feeling good about the situation. He's worried about Spock. Um, and he knows there's something serious going on. So he he calls Chekhov and he's like, look, what if we like go really, really fast to Vulcan? Like, what if we like really fucking went fast to Vulcan and then went to Altier 6? Could we what do if we, that? Like, what if we sped a little bit? Maybe we went over, you know, a reasonable speed. Is yeah. that possible? Give us the calculations. Like, pulling up Google Maps and being like, do we have time to stop by the restroom <laughs> on the way over there? How close are we to there? Like, can you just hold it? Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Um... And that's when Chekhov is like, what are you talking about? We're on course to Vulcan. And Kirk's like, excuse me? And he's like, yeah, we just got the orders from Mr. Spock that we're going to Vulcan. No. And Kirk's like, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Please okay. go back to Altier 6. Please get back on course for that. Um, and he goes straight to the bridge and he's like, Mr. Spock, please come with me. He doesn't call him out on the bridge in front of everyone. He just asks him to come with him. And he goes into the elevator or the turbo lift. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, geeks. The turbo lift. <laughs> the turbo lift. Um... And he waits for that to close. Level of nonsense. And he's like, Mr. Spock, politely, what's the fuck? What is the fuck? You ordered us to go to Vulcan? And Spock is just like looking straight ahead. He's he's really fucked. And he's just like, sir, I fully believe you. And I'm taking it fully on your word that I ordered them to go to Vulcan. I have no recollection of this. I'm so horned up. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Straight up, he's like, I truly don't know. And then he like looks at Kirk and he says, please lock me away, Captain. Fucking wild. Drastic. Yes. He's like, I do not wish to be seen. And I cannot explain further. No Vulcan could explain further. Please do not ask me. And Kirk is like, get your fucking ass to sick bay right goddamn yeah. now. <laughs> like, what actually the fuck? Get to sick bay. You, 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 it is rare that someone's like, you're having a, such a break from reality mm-hmm. that I need to get you to the medic. Yeah. Right, like, I I can't deal with my leadership skills anymore. Something is medically wrong with you yes. right now. Like, which is kind of wild because Spock knows logically. You can't say, I don't remember telling our ship to go somewhere else, but I don't need to go to sickbay. Okay. But he's like, no, get your ass to fucking sickbay. This is an order. Like, this isn't a suggestion. You are mm-hmm. ordered to go to sickbay. And we see, like, Spock, he gets out of the turbo lift. He gives, like, Kirk this kind of look of, like, almost betrayal, like, pleading in his face. And then we see him wander sort of zombie-like to sick bay. Yeah, I mean, it's clear, like, <sighs> Spock will hide things. Yes. Like, Spock is not... It, it, He's like a cat. Spock is, 
rather opaque, obviously, just because mm. he is so good at bearing his emotions. But this is Spock at his most off. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it, and Leonard Nimoy's acting is incredible in these parts. He's doing a great Absolutely. job disassociating. Absolutely. His performance makes this episode. Mm -hmm. His performance is so stunning. So he, he wanders into sickbay. And McCoy's like, sweet, welcome. We have everything ready for you. We've been waiting. And Spock, but Spock's just being a silly little guy. He's a silly little guy. He's like, mm, my orders were to go to sickbay, not to stay and be examined by going to my quarters. What a little <laughs> bitch. I loved it. It was so fucking funny. He's like, his logic just like already, he's like, logically, I have done what's asked. I walked into the room and he didn't say anything else. So I'm walking back out. I can now leave with a conscious clean. Like, what? You're so horny. You ever so horny? You look for loopholes in what your boss tells you to do. <laughs> and that's when McCoy is like, Spock, you know we both answer to the same commanding officer. Like, I have the orders to examine you. And he's kind of nice in this moment. Like, McCoy is generally an absolute dick to Mr. Spock. With obvious moments of him, like, saying to Kirk, like, he's the best first officer in the fleet, you know? They have this little mm -hmm. thing, but you can really see here that McCoy cares. And he goes up to Spock and he's just like, Spock, yield to the logic of this situation. Obviously, I need to obey Kirk by examining you. And if you leave, you are technically the one disobeying Kirk. Hmm? Yield to the logic of the situation here. And he's like, okay, gets on the table and we see his hand is still shaking. He's not doing okay. Back on the bridge, oh, we see Ensign Chekhov. For the first we time! Do. For in the first time! Silly little in wig! His, in his vessel! In his whistle! Nuclear whistle! Fun story about Chekhov and Sulu, because they get a little cute little back and forth here. Um, at the end of the first season, or like right when they uh at the end of the first season, uh Takei, George Takei, I kept wanting to call him Sulu. I'm like mm -hmm. the human. Um Takei goes up to Coon Ronberry and is like, hey, fucking Sulu should have a bigger role. Like, I, yeah. I really hope that you're going to, you know, give him a bigger role on the ship, how important it is, uh, you know, for the world, uh, for the diversities, for the just the character as he is um, to be more of a player. And they're like, absolutely. Okay. Like, for sure. We get you. And that's when they hire fucking Walter Koenig uh, to play some kind of young ass guy sitting right next to Sulu. So Takei is like, oh, so the way of giving me more of a role is to divide my fucking role uh. into two people. And even worse, they're like, this guy's going to share your dressing room with you. Oh my God. And so Takei was like, determined to hate this guy he was so fucking pissed you know but then they get into the dressing room the first day and walter Koenig puts on his wig that he was given and he looks at himself and he's like <sighs> and takei sees him in that stupid ass wig and he's like oh that poor guy <laughs> that poor man <laughs> oh i'm so sorry 
clearly you are just as boxed into this situation as I am. Okay, let's, we're going to get through this together. Immediately was super nice to him. Walter Koning had no idea that like Takei had even like wanted to dislike him. Um, Mm -hmm. They absolutely got along, but they have a really cute little exchange. That's a professional. That's a professional. You walk in and you realize you've, you, you, (laughs) You go through your own situation, yeah. you try and get what's best for you, mm-hmm. and then when you are given this scenario that pans out, mm-hmm. you make the best of it. You make the best of it, and you walk forward with empathy and yeah. an open heart. Um, so they have a cute little exchange where Sulu's like, how do you figure? First we're going to Altier 6, and then Vulcan, and then Altier 6 again. And Chekhov's like, I know, right? LOL. Uh, and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to plot a course back to Vulcan just in case. Just in case. And <laughs> it was so funny. Chekhov's like, I think I'm I going to be space seek. <laughs> Which now I want to know is space sick an actual thing? Like, right? <laughs> like if you're in the seas, do you in a void feel sick because you're like, there's, like, oh, oh my God, I'm feeling the effects of artificial gravity. <laughs> Um, so that's when we get back to the serious part of this episode, aka the rest of the episode. Um, so that's when we see McCoy is talking to Kirk. He basically busts in to Kirk's office and is like, um, we need to go to Vulcan right the fuck now. Right the fuck now. Yeah. Or else Spock will die. Oh, what? And Kirk oh, is like, shit. Raising the stakes a bit. Excuse me? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, why is he going to die? Why does he need to go to Vulcan? And, and McCoy's like, I literally don't know. I literally don't know why he has to go to Vulcan. He will not tell me. But we've looked at his body, and there is so much adrenaline being pumped into his bloodstream right now. He will die if he doesn't get what he needs. Like, we can see it biologically, whatever this is. And uh, he says, oh, yeah, Spock knows what's going on, but he's as tight-lipped as an Aldarian shell mouth. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, we get it. I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just like a shell mouth. Um, but Kirk is, goes directly to Spock's quarters and is like, my dude, why are you going to die? And Spock tries to ignore him, but Kirk grabs his hand. And they can both see that his poor Spock, his hand is shaking, shuddering, yeah. holding a pad. Like, it, it, I, it's hard for me to describe. As an actor, I've had mm-hmm. to do shake scenes before. Mm-hmm. It is actually really physically hard yeah. to do a controlled shake that doesn't look out of control, mm-hmm. but also looks like you're out of control of it. Mm-hmm. Like it's really, really hard. So that's even part of the acting that I appreciated wow. that was coming in was the the top to bottom physicality mm-hmm. that he threw into it. Especially, if, you know, I'm, I'm sure they weren't doing like many different takes over and over, but like if they had to keep doing takes over and over, you gotta get in that mind, gotta get in that mindset. You gotta yep. like physically be there. So yeah, it's like draining. This yeah. he was doing a lot, and it's not just takes like because someone messed up like it's just you need to get a bunch of coverage of a scene an actor has to do on film will have to do the same thing over and over and over again for you know no reason relating to their performance um but he's 
fucking shaking. And Spock says, look, you have been called the best first officer in the fleet by McCoy. Very cute moment. Um, (laughs) You are a tremendous asset to me. And if I were to lose you, if I'm going to lose you, I need to know why. And he's like, Spock, like, it is your duty to tell me. This is an order. He's thinking, like, maybe Spock's dedication to his mission, to his position, will get Spock to fucking open up. And Spock is like, "Mm, no outworlder has ever heard this. This is something that no non-Vulcan has ever ever known it's a thing that vulcans don't even talk about amongst themselves it is that deeply personal what is going on um and the fact that it's so personal it's so personal that it transcends the duty of the service Mm. He will not explain Which it. Which he's all about his service yeah. and his order and duty. So, like, what? I mean, if I didn't know what this was about, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am sitting here going, like, wow, what is this about? Because we've seen we have seen anti Spock come come forward, and not anti Spock from the mirror yeah. universe. <laughs> thing, but just every one of his instincts yes. is the opposite of what we see. Absolutely. Um, and so Kirk's like, all right what if I treat this as totally confidential? Does that help? And he's basically, what he's saying is like, but what if you tell your friend, Jim, what's happening? What about? Yeah. Yeah, And, and can then trust that Jim is not going to tell fucking anyone. So Spock's like, fine. It has something to do with biology. And Kirk is like, biology, like reproduction, (laughs) <laughs> what you can say reproduction on tv and i mean hey it's desilu studios they got pregnant on the yeah, air so yeah. they'll fucking get reproduction on there yeah too. oh yeah um <laughs> and spock's like y- you know yes and kirk's like well i mean like what's the problem like birds do it bees do it even Educated fleas educated do it. Please do it. Um, <laughs> Spock says, let's do it. Let's fall in love. Let's fall in love. They're already in love. Um, <laughs> but, exactly. Uh, Spock has this great fucking line. Birds and bees are not Vulcans. Captain. I love that line. I love that line. It's it's one of the few notes I sent to you when yep. watching this episode was that, well, I'm glad we know yep. for sure. Canonically, <laughs> we can say Vulcans are not birds, nope. and they are not bees. Nope, neither of the two. And then he's like, Captain, have you ever wondered how Vulcans choose their mates? And Have you, have you ever thought how, how we fuck? You ever thought about, about that, Captain? I've never really asked you. You ever thought about how we fuck? Um, and Kirk's like, mm, logically? Great, great guess, honestly. <laughs> uh, perfect, perfect joke. <laughs> and Spock's like, no, actually the entire opposite. Yeah, what this, what you're seeing right now, yeah. that's part of it. Like we lose our entire goddamn minds. We are like salmon who need to swim upstream. It is a biological imperative. 
It is called the pawn far. The time of mating. That's right. Spock's gonna fuck. Uh, pawn far. Pawn far. Mm-hmm. How did they come up with the name pawn far? Good for question. This? It is probably Theodore Sturgeon because he actually had a lot of the Vulcan language as designed by him originally in this episode. And by designed by, by him, um, we mean a bunch of gibberish was written down to be the words that they say to each other. It was nowhere near a real language or even a conlang, um, which yeah, they yeah. do later for Klingon. Um, once, mm-hmm. once Star Trek has more money, they hire people to create languages that, at least for the lines that they have to film, make sense grammatically, you know? are something that could be a language. That is not what Sturgeon did. So it probably comes from him. They cut almost all of the things that were supposed to be in Vulcan. And uh, that's when we start hearing this wonderful music uh, that Gerald Freed wrote. And this is Spock's theme. It's the Vulcan theme. Um, it turns into later on the fight music during the Pon Far. This theme is reused over and over and over again in the series. Um, it's some of the most recognizable music that the series has. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, did you possibly mean this music? Yep, this is it. So uh, let me tell you about this music while we're listening to it. He explained, Gerald Freed explained, that he was quite pleased with coming up with it. Here Spock was trying so hard to be human and enjoy some of the perks of humanity, but was unable to do so. And Spock actually says earlier in that scene, like, I thought that I might be spared this, uh, this imperative. Yeah. But obviously he's not. And I said, well, how can I express that in music? Well, a lyrical line to a bass guitar. By definition, he has to clunk it out. So I gave him that line, the characteristics of the bass guitar made it sound like he was struggling because in order to like pluck that out, that lyrical line on a bass guitar, you do have to, it will clunk out. Um, And it was jazz guitarist Barney Kessel who uh, played that bass that is so, mm, dare I say, iconic. To Star Trek. It, it's great. It's great. There's there's some iconic music in this, uh, to the point where we'll get to it later. Uh, I have a video game that parodied Ooh. one of the statements within this. And I realized as I was listening, why do I know this? I'm like, I don't know. Actually, I don't know mm. this. I know something very similar mm. is what it is. So yeah, Spock's like, look, I hoped I would be spared this, but I cannot escape these drives. He must return home and take a wife or die. And Kirk is an absolute fucking bro in this moment. He just turns to his to, to Spock and he says, I haven't heard a word of anything that you just said. And we're going to fucking Vulcan. I am yep. getting you to Vulcan and I have heard nothing. Bye. I have, I have two thoughts that are unrelated. I didn't hear what you said. Also, going to Vulcan sounds great. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is such a bro thing. Mm-hmm. And also, speaking of bro, the bromance, how much trust 
yes. Spock has incurred yes. to be able to tell him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he calls immediately to the bridge. Uh, he's like, get us to Vulcan. And Sulu's like, NBD already laid a course. <laughs> and he's just like, yes. And he's like, I, 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 I figured this would happen. I've been recalculating it as you've been <laughs> visiting Spock. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see Spock like trying to play his lute when Uhura calls him to be like, we're, we're heading to Vulcan. Mm-hmm. And you really kind of see of the crew it really does feel like they all know that what they're doing is for Spock and they have yeah. no idea why, but they know it's for him and they are down. They are here to support him in any way that they can, which is wonderful. Um, but Spock is too agitated in this moment and he gets up and he punches his computer and it just crumbles. Uh, it's so cool. I, I, for a moment, my brain went, that's absurd. But then I also remembered that time that Spock bitch slapped Kirk across the table. And yep. it was like, oh, yeah, no, no, it's Vulcan strength. That's definitely a thing. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so almost immediately, Kirk gets called by Starfleet Command. Yes. The dude goes on screen for this. We like see the person. It's not just, and he's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? We need you on Altier 6. This is like an extremely important diplomatic moment. And Kirk's like, no, like we really, really need to go to Vulcan. Um, And Starfleet's like, dude, you have your orders and hangs up. And Kirk's in there with McCoy. And McCoy's like, well, we got our orders. And Kirk's like, ha ha, yeah, no, we're going to Vulcan. Like, lol, no. He's like, fuck your orders. Yep. We got other fuck that we got to deal with right now. This this episode (laughs) is going to set our record for the amount of times we say fuck in a red shards. And I don't even think it's going to be close. And I'm absolutely fine with this. I'm going to click that does this contain explicit language button and be like, fuck yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And McCoy's like, you know, I mean, like, this could be your career. And Kirk's like, Spock has saved my life. Yeah. More times than I can count. Isn't that worth a career? Mm, that was such a great, like, honorable decision from him. Like, especially yeah. it's like, we're, with the knowledge that he's going to die. Like, and yeah. like Starfleet doesn't know that. So obviously nope. they're, you know, in the dark. I don't think everyone else on the ship knows that. I'm sure they've just heard that <laughs> Spock's having a bad one. Yeah. Um. But So the fact that he's just like, this person's life is more important than yeah. being like, on a diplomatic yeah. mission it, it's it's, it's one that, of those things where you're like yeah go against the rules banned. for good reason he will be banned from the ship that he loves like a woman his wife he's willing to risk his wife the enterprise the, he's willing to he's willing to risk the relationship he has with his wife for his bro his, his bromance bro. this bromance um but yeah, like we've Bros seen Kirk, before hose. Yeah, be really into his career. Like his career and this ship is more than important. So important to Kirk that when he was drugged by those plants in this side of paradise, his dedication to his career is what brings him out of it. Yep. 
Yep, he just, when he wills, just suddenly wills himself yeah. back out of the, <laughs> out of the toxins. Because he's just like, my ship, my wife, I can't, wife. I can't abandon my wife. My wife. Um, but Kirk's like, you know what? Warp eight. Get us the fuck to Vulcan. Like, oh. as fast as we can. Yeah, everyone turned around to look at him during, uh, I think it was Balance of Terror. When mm-hmm. they're like, warp eight. Ooh. They're like, that, that could disintegrate the entire ship. And he's like, no, we're getting the fuck to Vulcan. And Nurse Chapel hears this. Because she's, you know, in sick bay where they're talking about it. And she goes straight to Spock. To his room. But he's lying in his bed, presumably asleep. And she starts to walk away. But he's awake. He sits up. And he says, I had a dream that you were trying to tell me something and I couldn't hear you. And she starts crying like a big fake tear rolls down her face and he touches her face and he's just like, your face is wet. Uh... <laughs> Which is a great observation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Captain obvious here. <laughs> um, and he's like, it would be illogical to protest against our natures. Don't you think? And that, uh, yeah, it really, excuse, excuse me, Spock, what? Yeah. And it, it really feels like this was DC Fontana writing because without saying anything remotely like specific, you can tell he's saying, I am a Vulcan and you are a human. It is in our natures that we cannot be together. Um, but she's she's real. Oh, sad. see, that's funny. I actually interpret it differently. Oh yeah. I thought he was hitting on her. Oh. But now I mean I know that it's not. But I and yeah. I I think be. you're right though. I actually no. I think you are right in that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thought like, oh my god, it's just natural. You know, birds and bees, birds Vulcans and humans. Bees. You know, just, we all have mating instincts within us. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was just like, oh, I can't because we're coworkers or whatever. But no, I actually think you are right. But I did for a moment. That's why I went, what mm-hmm. the fuck earlier? Is I thought Spock was just straight up like hitting on a colleague. And it's like, whoa, Spock. You know. Um, but she's like, I'm, I just came in to tell you we're going to Vulcan. Like, we're, we're on our way there. And she sort of turns away to leave. And he's just like, hey, could you make me some of that Vulcan soup? that you made earlier and she's like gets this big smile on her face she's like yes i would love that (laughs) like i don't i don't think this is a regressive moment but i did think in my head ah yes what woman doesn't love making food (laughs) for her man i'm just like ah yes i'll make you a sandwich sure like oh he's accepting my sandwiches But it's a very, very sweet moment and and very much it a really moment is. of him trying to, like, reach out emotionally and apologize for how he treated her earlier. And darn good acting yes. from both of them. Oh, my God. So good. Um, I mean, as much as much shit as we were talking about earlier about Jean trying to cast Major in Majel, different yeah. roles and stuff. Majel. She is a She's good wonderful. actress. So it is yeah. her because you're like, she is good. She's yeah. like. There's, like, she works really well on this. She absolutely deserves that role. And so does Uhura. Um, and it's kind of like, yeah, Gene did put his girlfriends in roles. Oh, God. I but he only dated, like, really, oh, really talented girls. 
Well, so, I her, well, and with her, he's not the one that asked for her. No. She was suggested, yes. and then he was like, oh, yes, I can do that, because yes. we have a uh, previous work relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nothing else. <laughs> Absolutely. And he did, I mean, it's one of those things where Gene, they said that, like, everyone knew that he and Majel were together, but, like, he, they would be on set, and he was, like, suddenly, like, not looking at her when people would, like, look at him. <sighs> And like he's just like it's yeah it's that awkward like mm, I'm gonna act casual act very casual and the so way you do that casual. is by t- moving all your energy away mm-hmm. from the problem and everyone's like oh why are they directing their energy away from oh that's why <laughs> this is a some oh. some great a deflection I got it oh yeah so there is definitely like he would only uh, he would never write her name on memos or stuff even he would call her the actress. Because he was trying, like, it was just sketchy, That's... and it was part of him being sketchy. I can't believe he thought that would work. Like, oh, maybe if I just write that actress, they'll think, oh, I'm so yeah. dismissive of her. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is some horned-up boy logic there. Yeah. Right? So it was just ridiculous. This was one of the reasons why NBC did not want to renew Star Trek, because they didn't want to work with Roddenberry, because he was pulling sketchy shit like this. And regardless of how fucking talented the people who he ended up putting in were, that is sketchy as fuck. Yep. Yeah, it's not a good, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where whenever I, like, even in theater in town, like, there are people who mm-hmm. date each other and so, or marry yeah. to each other, and that's fine. But there have been times that someone gets cast in something, and when you first see it, you're like, oh, they get cast based on their merit, or is it because they're mm-hmm. related to, the person that's here yeah. like we did a there was a production here of a musical i don't want to say which because i don't want to accidentally talk to these people but someone who's mm-hmm. a very dear person close to me cast their husband in it and it's a small show so it's like oh okay and they were yeah. directing it and it was one of those things where it's like oh are they but he's also legitimately the most talented person yeah. for that and so when i saw that, i'm like oh no this just makes sense but I also yeah. understand you have to take that bullet when you are casting mm-hmm. your partner and know some people are going to think, oh, they're just doing it for that reason. You know, yeah. obviously your performance has to back that up and you know, mm-hmm. it did. So, yeah, but it, it's I I completely understand this, yeah. this type of, of, of navigating right. and what it takes for it. And it would be different even if he was married to Majel and not having a very public affair. Yeah, that's with her. that's the part that takes it different. Yeah. That's the level where it's just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he was and it was because of the times, whatever, but like people were wildly uncomfortable. But she's great. And Nimoy's great. Uh and I'm so happy that we got to see her in this role mm-hmm. and the other roles we get to see her in. Um because the fact that that was how she got cast. Like she wouldn't have gotten cast because Hollywood is a sexist, shitty place. Yeah, like well, they, well, yeah, they, for that reason, even though she deserves it. I mean, in the script, they wanted someone who was uh, underage in the sense of like a young person. I'm not trying to make it weird yeah. by saying underage, but like someone who is underage. And like they, yeah. they just thought, yeah, that's a fine idea, and that's how it would have been had women not gotten involved in this process. Precisely. And part of why DC's role in there, as we've talked about in mm-hmm. season one, is so instrumental to. Yep to helping the progressive parts of Star Trek that are mixed in here along with the sexism and regression that is just generalized in the 60s. Yep. I mean, and today, like a lot of it hasn't gone away, but it's just especially (laughs) bad in the 60s. That too. (laughs) 
Um, so, so now we come to the part of the episode where I legitimately cried. Like, like <gasps> tears fell from my eyes. We see Spock and Kirk and McCoy get into the turbo lift. Uh, they're accompanying Spock to the bridge because they just arrived at Vulcan. And Spock is like, all right, so this wild thing is going to happen. I'm going to go down to Vulcan and this wild thing that neither of you know anything about and that I haven't talked about is about to occur. But each person who goes has the right to request that his friends stand by him. That he is allowed his his brothers, like he is allowed to choose these people. And he asks if Kirk will stand with him. And Kirk, of course, he's like, of course. And he says, and, and Dr. McCoy, will you stand with me? And McCoy says, I am honored. Like, I will be honored to stand with you. Not a hint of snark. Truly, truly, we have gotten to the top of the summit of this bromance, oh this polycule that they have with the three of them and the Enterprise you know, because the Enterprise is fine with it. Yeah, it's Kirk's wife, but she knows. She knows that <laughs> there are needs. She sees it. There it's are, happening inside there her. There are bromance needs that she can't fill. And no. so, therefore, uh, you know that. Plus, uh, this is a terrible joke. I might cut this. <laughs> but I did think to myself, plus the Enterprise has had a lot of people inside her. So, <laughs> not as if she can say anything. But, but really, like, and it's hard to sort of portray verbally, like, how moving this small scene is, because so much of it is it in all of their performances. Yeah. And and um, I, had a, I had a different reaction. I, I wasn't crying. I was beaming. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. yeah. Like, I was just so smiling because yes. it was such a beautiful, sincere moment. It's so beautiful. It's so touching. Yeah. It, it, because... We have seen this relationship. We know it exists, but it's never really been called out to this level. Yeah. Where especially one, we've already have Spock say, "I re- mm-hmm. revealed just in verbal, in details that yeah. no other Vulcan knows." And now I want to bring you two humans with yes. me to this thing that is much bigger than you even realize yeah. in this moment. I want you to come with me. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, except yeah. first when he just says Kirk, I'm like, that makes sense, and then. The second time when he says it to McCoy, yeah. that was where it bumped it up for me. And I was like, one, yeah. romance, but two, I was like, God damn, this is like, this is just sincere friendship. You just need mm-hmm. support with you. And this is the sort of start of watching this episode. Um, it just felt really queer to me in a yeah. really beautiful way. The way that Spock is talking about how there's a part of himself that he has to hide. That the people who he has standing with him are not the people from, like, his culture. You know, he has to make all of these decisions that have to do with who he is. He is half human. He has Mm -hmm. chosen that life. And it's part of him, you know? And he has his people standing with him. But we'll see, like, later when they go to Vulcan, they're like, what are these fucking humans doing here? Yeah, yeah. They're like, "Mm, what what are these two squares doing around? Who are these fuckers? So they go up to the bridge, and that's when we see Tapring. Yeah. A call from uh, the wonderful Arlene Martell. So she calls in, 
And that's when, like, we get to see all this weird Vulcan stuff. Oh, yeah. Which is mostly Sturgeon, um, as as DC Fontana said. Um, Spock says, to Pring parted from me and never parted, never and always touching and touched. We meet at the appointed place. And she pretty much says the same thing back. She's like, I await you, touching but and not touching, but always touching. Um, and there's this great purple light emanating from the screen yeah. onto their faces and you see like him and Kirk and McCoy. Um, so Tapring was played by Arlene Martel when she was 31 years old. Um, and she had actually tried out for where no man has gone before. Oh. The pilot, the second pilot. Okay. And she had gotten the role basically, but she couldn't do it because her eyes were really sensitive. And as we remember, they put that poor fucking woman. Oh my god. Sally yes. Kellerman oh, the in tin those horrible tin foil yes. oh god, yes. contacts. And you could tell she was walking around the set. She could not see a damn thing. The episode this with, poor woman with all like, the cutaways to not trip. So, yeah, so many cutaways because these poor <laughs> actors and actresses like had these in their eyes, and it's like this is so uncomfortable. They can't have the shot last very long because you'll yeah. see them just being miserable. Yeah, um, and so she actually came back to audition for. Catspaw, another episode that that'll be in season two, but was filmed before this one. And she like heard them talking, like whispering, and they're like, save her, save her. And she's like, mm, cool. So I'm just not getting this role. But then she got a call back because they were saving her because they're like, we want her to be to prank. We, we need her for like this episode. Um, she is wearing, we'll see like this cool geometric, like silver outfit. Oh, yes. Which apparently made her bloody what what how why why are we causing all these actors yes. to bleed that happened yeah. with uh <laughs> season two yeah oh it did <laughs> these poor actresses she said it was made of metallic wire and at the end of the day i was bloody right underneath my rib cage bill uh bill tice who is the costume designer slash person who drapes Fabric on Bolts people. Of fabric fabric over people. Interior decorator, um, because we treat these women as if they're props, making them fucking bleed. She says that he could have easily put in something to make it more comfortable. I'm sure he would, because he was a sweet man. He wasn't sadistic, but I didn't speak up. I was feeling too timid being there, too happy to have this particular role. And... You know, I because don't want to women and, feel like their voices yeah. don't matter. It and they sucks. feel like, yeah, they are made them mostly female actors or female presenting, but actors generally um, are made to feel like they can't ask for that kind of thing. Yep. Because then, then you get labeled problematic or a diva yep. or hard to work with or mm -hmm. stubborn or whatever you know, genderized adjective for, for either gender mm -hmm. or none that you can come up with there. Yeah. Oh no, I'm, I'm familiar. I, I have been that person yeah. in a show working yeah. under somewhat difficult conditions who yeah. has that idea in the back of your head. You're like, maybe I should speak up on this and then didn't. And sometimes it was fine. Other times it's like, yeah, no, I should have actually said something. And mm -hmm. that's only in hindsight. That you get. So yeah, I totally get it too. Yeah. Especially when you don't yeah. have the, uh, any sway or, standing you know it's not it's not that mm -hmm. this was kirk who didn't say something you're like fucking you know kirk you can yeah. why didn't you speak up oh yeah shatner can do whatever the fuck he yeah, wants yeah I, but... I get it but it's also sad yeah. and it sucks it is 
It does. It's sad and it sucks. Um, but she also said about it, the design, which I understood was very geometric, uh, but I had a really good body, which it concealed totally. I thought it looked like a maternity dress. I thought maybe they see this character as trying to conceal that she is pregnant. So that is what I gave myself the idea about her. That oh, was her actor's secret. Was that already, is pregnant? She's already mated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we won't get too far ahead of the plot, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Plausible. <laughs> That is plausible within the script that that could be a truth of that character. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like, I'm fascinated by choices actors make internally that have nothing to do with the script, Mm -hmm. but also don't go against it. Because you hear that a lot about stories where actors being like, oh yeah, my like inner secret, my inner Mm -hmm. truth was this thing. Never, you know, talked about it's not, or it's not even something that maybe that they would even share with the director. It's like, I didn't mean it for Mm -hmm. anyone else. It's just, this is what internally my motivation Mm -hmm. is to, 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 do what I'm doing here. Yeah. God, that's interesting. Right? I thought it was so cool that she shared that, um, that we get to know that about her performance. Uh, And that's what's so wonderful about this book. These are the voyages uh, by Mark Cushman, all of them, because he's the one who got all those interviews um, with these actors and they're all collected. So it's so cool that we get to know that. So Back to the episode. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, they beam down to the arid world of stage 10. Now, I I do have to say at some point here, and I don't know Mm -hmm. when it was, so we have moved past it because it was before they went down. Mm -hmm. There's a very important to me part of the script Mm -hmm. where uh, Spock uh, sees a picture of Mm. T'Pring, and they Mm -hmm. ask who it is. And oh, he yeah. says, it's my wife. And my brain went, <laughs> my wife? What? What the actual hell? I'm so confused. Wife? What? Wife? And everyone else felt the same <laughs> way because we got the whole, everyone turned to look at him yeah. like they were going to warp eight. It was so wild. So yeah, sorry. I just had to get. I had. I've had that sound cue oh, ready for when you brought it up, and I'm yes. like, no, we skipped past it. I need to get this in. <laughs> yes, I know. We skipped past Uhura's like one of two lines that she gets, because um, she's the one. She's like, oh my god, she's beautiful. Yeah, is she? yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's great because they also cut to commercial right at my wife. <laughs> so, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy—they're on the arid world of Stage Ten. Um, they wanted it to be like a big, like hot, deserty place. Yeah. Um, and Roddenberry was like, "What if we like go to the Mojave Desert? Like, what if we go to Palm yeah. Springs? What if we go and on Justman location?" Justman is like, "Please, God, <laughs> please." Dean, do you not remember it. Safari USA? Do you not remember all these terrible long filmings we've Quest done? Oh, for the love of God, we have a desert set. We can spruce it up. Yeah, like, what are we supposed to do? We we can't paint the sky. We're going to have to match all these. So they built it on stage 10. It was apparently a massive set. Yeah, it's so um, much detail. I was fascinated yeah. by the the place where they land, mm-hmm. which is which is sort of a, 
it has like um, pillars and like yeah. uh, uh, it's like a Stonehenge. Yeah, sort of and spot. there's like an insignia sort of thing in the middle. That's mm-hmm. like it's not bejeweled, but it's like you know, it's just like decorative. Yeah, so like this is like a decorative, meaningful spot. And much, mm-hmm. much like Stonehenge has some yeah. sort of religious or societal or some mm-hmm. sort of ceremonial purpose. And I got that yes. moment one from when they landed. Oh yeah, I knew. Oh okay, I know. I know where they're landing. This is obviously somewhere important. Yeah. Matt Jeffries uh, and Finnerman, um, the the director of photography, they had this fucking down. The sky is red. All the sand is has glitter in it. And apparently on 60s televisions, like it didn't just look like sand with glitter in it. It like looked like this shimmering sort of like wild shit. It still yeah. looks great even on modern TVs. But like apparently it was like crazy. Um. So they, you know, they walk on this, up to this giant matte painting with like the stone henge and they're in this red sparkling place. And Spock is like, this is the land of my family. We've had it for about 2000 years. Welcome. Take off your shoes. Um, No, they don't take off their shoes. Uh, This is where we do the meeting ritual called Kun Ut Kal If Fi. Rolls off the tongue. Rolls off the tongue. Something that is that is a Sturgeon original, uh, and Kirk is like, "Oh yeah, no, like I know that word." Uh, Spock told me it means marriage or challenge. <laughs> what, what a dual word! What a dual word! So Spock walks up into the center of this like epic circle, and he hits this green coffin-shaped gong. Yeah. And he's like, Bong. Which I did not think was a gong. I didn't know what it was. But when it all made a gong noise, I'm like, oh, okay. And then he says that the marriage party approaches. And we get to hear the wonderful uh, processional music, also designed by Gerald Freed. Just stunning. And is absolutely reused um, later later in the seasons. Uh, Yes. And these, these these Vulcans are holding uh, also coffin-shaped uh, frames filled with bells. Yeah. And they're walking forward. There's uh, Vulcan dudes. They're all in these silver things. Most of them have helmets on, so we don't have to see their ears. Yeah, we, we, we don't know the props. I just put helmets on them. Uh, they're these low-cut things. You can see most of their chests. Um but they're carrying a woman on a litter. Oh my god. And behind this oh. woman is walking to pray. And this woman is Tapau. Tapau! Tapau. Celia Lovsky. British rock band Tapau. Tapau! <laughs> and, you know, Spock says to, to our guys, basically after he hits the gong, that this is the culmination of the ceremony, um, that he and T'Pring were locked together at the age of seven psychically Mm -hmm. to force them both to come to this place at this time. So they're bringing T'Pau in and Kirk is like, oh fucking shit. That's T'Pau. That is the only person to ever turn down a seat on the Starfleet like council on the Federation council. This person is so famous 
and basically represents Vulcan. And he's like, I had no idea that she was related to Spock. None at all. Um, and directly behind her, that's where we see Lawrence Montague, uh, Montague I think it's pronounced, Lawrence Montague. Um, that's right. The person who they hired to be the Vulcan on the bridge. Yep. This, he is the only one wearing a black t-shirt under his silvery outfit. So first thing that's fun is that his character is called Strawn. That's this person's name. But originally Sturgeon named him Spore. Oh. And Jespin was like, <laughs> why don't we just rename him Sperm? Why don't we just go the whole thing? <laughs> like as his cheeky little thing so he changed it to uh, spawn so what's so interesting is that lawrence really was a rival of uh of spock of of leonard nimoy oh because they look similar they kept auditioning for the same parts question mark not only that but he was the person who desilu who who uh the whole group went to and they're like, you're going to be the new Vulcan. Okay. So, so that was so, as soon as so the negotiations break down. Knew this. Yes. Oh, and God. Lawrence knew this. So this is the quote that he gives. They called my agent and were drawing up contracts. And since I had to stay available, there was a contingency clause. If Leonard does a 180 and returns to the series, I get offered another part. Meanwhile, I keep calling my agent saying, you know, I'm not working. And he says, listen, don't be greedy. You've got this series. Oh. It's written in stone. You're in a boy. Oops. And of course it didn't turn out. But they called me back and said, what did I do another role? Which was strong. When I saw the script, I had a heart attack. I had five lines. I really didn't want to do it. Uh, I turned the part down. But then he started getting calls from Ronberry, who was basically like, mm, you'll never work at Paramount again. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. What What yeah. a 180 from Gene to be like, oh, you're our right. savior. You're our new, our new spot. Yeah. You're going to be a star. And then being yeah. like, you don't take this plithy little role. Yeah. I'm going to ruin you. Basically. Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the end. Even further, even further. Oh, no. What? Lawrence gets on set and they have these little costumes that show off your chest. And Gene Ronberry asked him to shave his fucking chest for this five line role after basically pulling the rug out from under him that he had this role. And he said, um, Lawrence said, Ronberry and I had a big falling out because I went to do wardrobe uh, on a mock time and they wanted to shave my chest. And I went berserk calling my and called my agent. My agent came down and they went into a conference room like he physically went to the set to talk wow, to Gene about wow. this. And Gene finally let me wear this mock turtleneck black gizmo underneath the coat. But after that, I was on his shit list. He would come down to set and wouldn't even acknowledge me. What the fuck, Gene? The good, the bad, and the Gene strikes again. 
God. Jean is obsessed with the idea that uh, men will not have chest hair in the future. He's obsessed with that idea. So obsessed he was going to make this poor man fucking shave his chest. And he made all the extras do it too. What the fuck, dude? I mean, okay, so to one degree, what the fuck? To the other part of it, I'm like, I mean, it's just chest hair. I don't really know what. I guess I, yes. I don't have that much connection. I mean, again, non-binary person. So, like, I'm not the right demographic to talk about chest hair. I don't have much as is. Um, but I would be like, I mean, I would shave it for it if they asked me to. So, it's, yeah. it's I But I get it. I get it. It's, it's I mean, it would be it would be as if they said, come in and cut your hair. Like, it is, it's, yeah. or shave your mustache, whatever it would be. Like, I get it. Yeah. your body and that is something mm-hmm. where you negotiate those things ahead of time that's not something yeah. that you get to set and they're all yeah. like oh by the way yeah. by the by by the by um yeah so absolutely fucking wild so back on vulcan we see the vulcan hand salute for the very first time we do a question i got this wrong is- in trivia the other day <laughs> <laughs> This is, of course, uh, originated by um, Leonard, Leonard Nimoy. Oh, is, he did that. I didn't know that. He did that. Yeah. So what it is, is this is actually a way that people, some people when practicing Judaism will hold their hands in this way. And it represents the letter high, which is life. So okay. Leonard Nimoy as a child, you know, there's a part of, of, like basically every service where you're supposed to sort of close your eyes Mm -hmm. and he would look up and like peek and he saw the men doing this hand symbol and he's like that's so evocative i'm a child um and so that's where it's from it's a jewish hand symbol that he used to be the vulcan salute which is so sick as fuck that is very dope and also to like that has to be pretty trippy because like I grew up in in church and so there's obviously so yeah. much ritualistic stuff that you take for granted yeah, yeah. when you're in there and you're just like, oh, yeah, these things are not n- normal unless you're in a church. Like yeah. that he saw something like that and it made an impression. And it was like, so I was thinking to myself, oh, yeah. like, yeah, it's like putting your hands in prayer or whatever. Like it's, yeah. you instantly know what that symbol is. And he took something, mm-hmm. especially that it's about life. Like that's cool yeah. too. That it is yeah. something where it was like a... a, a a a sign of honor essentially that he yeah. brought to it and and people use it today still absolutely it is um it's something that i do when i when i am practicing judaism if i'm ever in a place doing that part i do that in part because it's the vulcan hand salute and i feel like i am honoring both my love of star trek and that religion um so that that was really meaningful to me as a Jewish person, uh, finding my own practice. Thank you, thank you, Spock. Um, thank you, thank you, Leonard. Thank you, Leonard. Um, exactly. So we see for the first time Spock does the salute. T'Pau makes the salute, which is actually like she couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, it was a little wonky. So there's like a cut where like. You see her kind of move her hand, and then she's like in the in the position. They had to like move and put her hand in the position and then <laughs> shoot it. <laughs> uh, and you know, Spock walks over to Depau and bows. And the first thing that she says to him is, "Spock, are our ceremonies for outworlders?" Which is yeah. just let me open with some like, xenophobia here. 
straight up. And that was like really when it was like, oh my God, like this feels very much like a sort of queer experience of like coming in and the older person just being like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. What? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm, you're bringing this and pretending that it's normal. You're bringing your boys here. You're bringing your boys here. Um, or really any kind of like walking away from those traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely had an aunt who is a lot like T'Pau. Um, <laughs> oh, really? So this felt like very real to me. This like severe old lady just being like, mm, excuse me. I've, I, I've not had someone close in my life that's like that, but I have met T'Pau's in my life. <laughs> I knew this yeah. archetype and I'm fascinated. We're going to talk about T'Pau at the end, oh, yeah. but yes. I I think T'Pau as a character is parodied in Futurama. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's our ceremonies for outworlders and Spock just straight up. He says, these are not outworlders. They're they are my, my friends. friends. I am permitted this. And he fucking is. He gets to have his boys with him. Yes. Fuck you. Fuck your weird Vulcan conservatism. Come on. Um. And she's like, all right, fine. And beckons, you know, Kirk and McCoy over. Um. And is like, this is the Vulcan soul. This is our way. You better not fucking intervene. You better not act out of place. Like, Spock, do you speak for these people's behavior? And he's like, I speak to it with my life. Like, they I will stand be good, for that. Good boys. They will be good boys. <laughs> they will be good little boys. So then Spock turns and he walks over to the gong and he's about to hit it, you know, as part of the ceremony. When Tapring, like, runs up, gets on the platform, and puts out her hand to stop him from hitting the gong. Um, and Spock like freaks out. He turns and he's like about to like, you know, walk up to T'Pau or, or something. And another Vulcan with a big ass knife steps forward to keep him in his place. Yeah. This escalated mm-hmm. very quickly. Very quickly. And so he turns around and he's starting to get in this weird intense space. So he like turns, he's in a corner, like sort of shaking and holding his hands together. He's in a in an interesting state. Um, and Kirk's like, what the hell is going on? And Tapao says, she has issued a challenge. She gets to pick her challenger. Spock is in Plaque Tau, the blood fever. So it's this yeah. intense moment. She oh my god, I can't believe this. She she <laughs> she she said I object at her own wedding. When this like does anyone object? <laughs> She's like, I do, I do, like me. I couldn't me. believe it. It's great. It was absolutely great. I mean, um, I get it because it's an arranged marriage, so I do. I like, I legitimately yeah. do get it. Oh, yeah. But it was just wild. Where it's like, if you just think about, it, like, no yeah. wonder Spock is in a corner shaking because it's yeah. like he's getting the graduate, the graduate yeah. or something. Like he's about yeah. just to see D- Dustin Hoffman banging on the windows. Except it's mm-hmm. his wife being like, oh, excuse me, you're supposed to, you need to come on now and bang at the window. I need, I need someone to get me out of this. It's like, help me, help me. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, 
so uh she Tapau, you know addresses mccoy and kirk and is like look if you guys can leave right now if you want because shit's about to get real yeah. you are not held by our traditions and they're both like nah we're staying and then she gives a moment she's like mm, then you are true friends he has picked his friends well yep she and he gets that. absolutely fucking has. So she says, basically, T'Pring has rejected Spock and is prepared to be the property of the victor of the challenge. And T'Pring is like, yep. And we keep seeing Lawrence, right, in all of these shots. And yeah. Kirk McCoy are kind of looking at him. And it's made obvious to us watching that he is the implied person that she is going to pick. She yes. clearly likes this guy and he's standing there. Um, and Kirk's like, do you think Spock can take this guy? And McCoy's like, absolutely fucking not. Like he is in a terrible state. And we got to also sort of remember he is half human. So we don't know how that affects. Is he less strong oh, than true. other Vulcans? Could he be in more danger? And that's not really discussed, but I feel like that, is underlying McCoy's concern that there is medically with Spock, he can't take this guy. Um, and so T'Pring steps forward to make her choice. Originally to make her choice in the, in the script, she was supposed to spin around like a gyroscope and then land on Kirk. <laughs> and Dorothy Fontana's like, she can point she, like yeah. that'll be fine she can, she can just you know just, oh my god <laughs> she's like they're like oh i know guess spin me right round, right round uh and she was like no 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 no. we're just gonna do a good old, old point point and, and direct point and direct but she does the crazy thing she points at kirk and says this is my champion this is my victor <laughs> strong like, immediately not, strong? not him <laughs> not strong not that guy he immediately steps forward though he's like i'm supposed to be the challenger we agreed i'm i'm to be the challenger and to pow's like step the fuck back yep. the lady made her choice yeah also like, dude kirk wasn't there when you made the agreement this is a new factor yeah. that's uh, emerged yeah absolutely um those are basically all five of his lines. Congratulations, Lawrence. Congratulations, There's your, here's your concession job. prize. I mean, it sucks, but also you could be in one of the most iconic episodes of Star Trek. So it's at yep. least better than being handed a literal shit sandwich and saying bye no. and having Gene ruin you and never work at Paramount again. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, also, in the original script, there was, like, the implication that this ceremony was being watched by all of Vulcan, like the Hunger Games. Oh, my God. <laughs> DC was like, so do, do they also watch them fuck? Like, what's happening? And this, there's how many Vulcans? So how many times a day are right. we doing this? Is it just because it's Spock? <laughs> Is it literally just, oh, Spock, he's, you know, as later on we hear. he's famous. His, yeah, his yeah. name, you know, precedes him. And so is it mm -hmm. just that detail? Or is this every single time a horny Vulcan lands on the planet or goes to this spot? Everyone's like, oh, shit, I got to turn my TV on. Got to watch the old Pond Far Network. <laughs> Uh, Fontana had a great line and she was like, mm, do they also watch the spawning? I bet they don't have NBC broadcast standards to contend with. <laughs> great, great joke. 
Yep. They are so funny in their her and Justman are fucking hilarious in their memos. Uh, so Pau is like, look, Dupring is entirely within her rights to choose Kirk, but Kirk, you are free to decline. You are not bound by any of the laws of Vulcan. You are not a Vulcan. Um, nor nor have you adopted Vulcan. I assume that Spock's mother, who has adopted Vulcan as her home, yeah. she is a human. I'm I assume that she is entirely held by the laws of Vulcan because she has chosen to make it her home. Um but you know, maybe not. But again, she is like, You're not Vulcan, you are not subject to our laws. Uh, Spock steps forward and he's in the blood fever. He's freaking out. And he goes like, T'Pau, stop this. He does not understand. He does not understand what is being asked of him. His blood does not burn. He is my friend. And T'Pau, the fucking bitch. (laughs) She says, it is said that your Vulcan blood is thin. Are the Vulcan or are the human? Ooh, that's fucking shitty. Just call them mudblood, you fuckface. Like, Jesus. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. Um, And that's, I almost think that's partly why Kirk is like, no, no, no. You know what? Yeah, we can yeah. do this. I can yeah. do this, lady. Yeah. Humans. Oh, humans are yeah. able to, you know, go with it. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it is funny because I know you're about to say this, but but I love the little conference they have where they're like, yeah. hey, so do you think we can do this? It's like, do you think we can take a dive? And like, just like, let's fuck win. It's like, yeah, sure. That'd be, I, he's drugging me. He bitch slapped me across the table I'll, once. Like, this is, yeah. yeah we'll I'll just, get a black eye. Yeah, we'll just It'll do be that and then we'll be good. Yeah. Like, we can totally do this. Um. But basically when she's like, are you a book fucking Vulcan? Spock responds, I burn. My eyes are flame. My heart is flame. You have the power to forbid this. Don't let this happen. And T'Pau says, thee has prided thyself on thy Vulcan heritage. It is decided. So I, I mean, one, it's particularly cruel to say to a person who's experiencing the biological effects of being the species that he is horny on of main. not being that yep. species like what the fuck he doesn't get to choose to not have his blood burn on this the day of my spock's wedding <laughs> so yeah uh kirk's like no it's cool like i can totally take a dive it'll be fine and especially, we don't want Spock to fight this other guy and yeah. die. And I can't turn this down in front of Tapau. This would be a diplomatic disaster, like between the Federation and Vulcan, um, who who you know are part of the Federation, part of the founding members of the Federation. But still, yeah, it, like it's funny because she early says you can have an out, but she says it in a way of being like, I mean, yeah. if you're a total pussy. And, you know, <laughs> like, you can get out of here, human. Like, I know whatever it is, but she's just like, I mean, you have been challenged, so I am just saying. Mm, just saying, just saying. Um, 
So he decides to accept. He's like, nah, I got this. Like, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, and, he... and, then, and then it's so great. And then a second later, Defoe's like, perfect. To the death it is! And they're like, <laughs> what? What? Whoa, 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 no, 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 no. I'm sorry. What? You, th this was not, this was not explicitly said before. Like, the contract is sealed. The death threat begins. <laughs> Hooray. No, you can't, you cannot tell me that. You can't leave that information out of there. And I know that like Spock is like trying his best to respect the laws, but it's funny that Spock doesn't go, Jim, it's to the death. Right. And I know he's basically trying to not have his like, you yeah. know, horn blood explode inside of him. So I get mm -hmm. it. But it's just so funny that no it's one, so no one thinks to mention it. And that's clearly what Spock says. He doesn't understand. He's yeah. trying to like get to pow. He's going to be like, I haven't yeah. talked to him about the death part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun. I didn't, like, I knew like broad details of this from the plot, like just because I knew, yeah. I, I know the parody of it. So I was able to, oh, yeah. to uh, infer stuff backwards. But I, that part yeah. is like, I, I thought the to the death part would be a joke within Futurama as like, oh, we're going to escalate this, that two horny people are going to fight, you know, with each other. I didn't realize that it was like, no, this is just a one for one parody of the Star Trek episode, yep. where into that it's to the death. To the death. <laughs> oh, they bring out these giant axes. They're like, here, oh, yeah. here is your battle weapon. And those axes, they're called uh, Iripa. Or Liripa, yes. it's I can't know if it's an L or an I on here. Mm, fair. But yes. Um yes. Um it's, it's kind of great. Like it's an L. Uh, ah. Lirpa. L-I-R-P-A. Lirpa. Lirpa. Um Spock grabs his, he's holding it. Like Kirk takes his and it's obviously really heavy for him. Oh yeah. Like great um, great acting of him just being like, oh fuck. He's sweating intensely. Um and in this moment, like, basically Spock looks at him as though he does not recognize him. Spock is deep in the blood fever. Oh, he yeah. He will not respond. And you know he Theodore is. Sturgeon, you know he is? Go ahead. You know it. Theodore Sturgeon wanted Spock to scream and beat his chest like a gorilla. Oh, At that moment. God. So we can all thank Dorothy Fontana for being like, we could just let. Uh, we we can just let Nimoy act. Yes, and also you know, they didn't evolve just... from apes. You know, yeah. very different uh, evolutionary chain, and it's great because they're getting ready to yes. get to battle, and then mm -hmm. we get this. Hell yeah! Oh, this sting! I'm like in Fantasia. Amazing! This is the. Oh. Amazing fight music. And here is where here is where I don't know for sure um if this is a one for one, but when I heard this. I heard Ooh. this music cue from mm. Space Quest V, the Sierra Adventure uh, parody game, which we are going to have to, have to yes. do a live yes. red charts of this because this game is, the, the fifth one, is a one-for-one. One. It is all Star Trek parody. 
top getting oh, to it. Oh yeah. You you're the person. Oh my god. You, you, person that you meet, you meet uh Captain mm-hmm. Quark, is <laughs> one of the main people you meet on there. It's amazing. But this cue. Oh, this is definitely. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. I can. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah, that music I started playing, and I'm like, holy shit, they just were parroting the mm-hmm. score. They just were parroting Absolutely. the actual Star Trek score with it. Like, that's the layer of parody this was going in here for. Mm-hmm. Again, this was, this was a, it, it just was like in my head trying so to figure good. out why have I heard this? I'm like, oh no, I haven't. I've just heard this other thing. And I should mention, so cool. the only reason I'm able mm-hmm. to pull these sound cues is because this is from volume two of the original television soundtrack which features only two episodes on it, the Doomsday Machine, which we haven't seen yet, and Amok Time. So they have yep. all the sound cues from this in here, music cues, I should say. So yeah, it is it is just an, an amazing, iconic score mm-hmm. that I'm not surprised they, it, it yeah. bled through to pop culture in other ways. Absolutely. And they use this ad nauseum. <laughs> I mean, you can't be nauseated by it because it's too awesome. But like, it is in almost every single other episode oh, yeah, of no, this it's ama- show. It, it, it is, is amazing. It, to me, it was as evocative as the Star Wars yep. music is to oh, its yeah. action. And that same oh, sweeping, yeah. symphonic like sound mm-hmm. that I just love. like Stuff that just sounds like, oh yeah, it could have come mm-hmm. from like, you know, a Beethoven symphony or something. Yeah. But, it's, yeah. but it's for TV. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Absolutely incredible shit. Um, so we, yeah, they're fighting to the death. Uh, McCoy is like, um, excuse me. He immediately jumps up. Like, like before they even start fighting, he's like, um, excuse. What the fuck? Like, you cannot let this happen to pal. And to pal is immediately like calls her dudes and they come at him. They block him out. And she's (laughs) like, I will only allow this awful outburst once. I will not tolerate it a second time. Mm-hmm. Sit the fuck down and let your friends fight to the death. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we start fighting and it's a great fight. It's really cool. Like Spock gets a swipe on Kirk and opens up his shirt so we can see that he is hairless, his his chest. Oh, of course. Um, you can tell that Spock knows how to use the weapon and is way stronger. He like hits the gong with the weapon and it fucking breaks. Um, and T'Pau calls for an intermission at a certain point uh, in in the fight. And Spock just immediately stops. He's It's like he's a robot at this point. Um, and that's when McCoy is like, hey, look, the air is too thin for Kirk. This is not a fair fight. Yes. The air is too thin. It's too hot. Look, let me give him this medicine. He like pulls out a hypo. He's like, this will make it even. I will make things fair with this unlabeled hypodermic. Might have I shoved this needle, this performance enhancing drug into my boy here? <laughs> and she's like, 
you know what? Sure. Yeah, it's so funny. It was so fucking funny to me when she's like, yeah, why not? Because they all just assume that Kirk is going to get smashed into, like, Kirk goo. Yeah. They're basically like, oh, yeah. this, like, a human is such a one-sided thing that even just giving them what, a steroid, whatever, mm-hmm. boost that, that uh, McCoy's going to get them. They're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Whatever. We're going to have fun watching this human die. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's why you're interrupting our traditional ceremony that we have made a big deal about not interrupting? Yeah, sure, go for it. Sure, sure, go for it. So he goes and gives him the hypo. And then they bring out the second weapon that they're going to fight with. It's like this long strap. And Spock clearly knows how to use it. Um, (laughs) When it's handed to Kirk, he does this great, like, motion with his arm. Like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Like, what have I been handed? (laughs) It's just a really great performance moment. (laughs) And and Spock does absolutely know. He immediately brings Kirk down, like whips it around his leg, uh, Hoth style. Um, and they fight. He holds Kirk over the hot coals, finally gets it around Kirk's neck. And, you know, they fight with it around his neck. And then Kirk is apparently suffocated. Yeah. And he falls to the ground, apparently dead. T'Pau calls the end of the competition. And McCoy runs up um, immediately and he's just like, it's over. He's dead. He's super dead. You don't, you don't, I can tell just by looking at him for a half a second. He's definitely dead, you guys. Yep. Don't ask me. I'm a human doctor. I know when humans are dead. <laughs> uh, they were uh, so quick to just be like, okay, cool. They, they were just like. <laughs> It's they just it's just is so funny because I know it wasn't like a conspiracy together, but it did seem like everyone wanted one outcome. Like even Tapau was just like, yeah. oh no, Spock, we don't, no, you're you don't need it. And again, maybe they all knew she was pregnant, and that's where they're like, oh, we gotta we gotta set up our we gotta have a fake ceremony. We gotta set it all up so it makes it look like that this happened. <laughs> Yes. He'll probably bring his bros with him. So we can, yeah, let's use one of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we got it. We got it. We got it. Um, Pau calls the end of the competition and Spock is just looking down at the body of his friend, horrified. Yeah. Horrified. And what he has done. Uh, Oh, I have my note about how, like, they they don't really give a fuck about him. The Vulcans are a lot like the elves in The Lord of the Rings in how they're characterized as being, as not really giving a fuck about other races. Oh, okay, yes. And other races. Like, there are these sort of interesting culture that has all of these, they have these powers, they have these intricate ceremonies and things, and they don't really care about other species that seems to be a lot of species within within star trek yeah. including to be fair the humans many times the humans yeah. interact with aliens <laughs> and they're just like well but we're humans so <laughs> and so mccoy calls the enterprise he's like get ready to beam us up and he goes over to spock and he says you know like as strange as it may seem you are now in command do you have any orders And now Spock is calm. His blood no longer burns. He says, I will follow you up in a minute, but please ask Mr. Chekhov to plot a course for the nearest starbase where I will surrender myself to the authorities because I just murdered my friend. 
and commanding officer. And, and so the implication of this is mm-hmm. Spock gets boiling blood because he mm-hmm. has to go and get married. He has to do this thing. Mm-hmm. It's a mating thing. So he has to go mate. But mm-hmm. if you fight your friend to the death, that all goes away and you're fine. Yeah. You don't actually have to like release any sort of, yeah. you don't have to even go you're in done. a corner and be like, I'm going to take a second. I'm going to need a moment and like, mm-hmm. you know, get it all out as it were. Um, I don't want to say jacking off on red sharks. That's just so disgusting. <laughs> um, should, we don't want the image of Spock jacking off in any of our audience's head. That would be absolutely disgusting and terrible. No, no, Sp- no, 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 no. Think not. Exactly. Think not. So no, no, no. Nary a thought. Uh, but yeah, but Nary. it's just the fact that like, yeah, he goes to the fight and then it's like, okay, I'm fine. I was like, oh, okay. That's just how we resolve this then. Sure. We're just fine. We're just fine. So he and McCoy or McCoy transports himself in the apparent body of Kirk up to the Enterprise. And Spock turns to Depring, and he just says, explain, specify. Um, why did you choose the captain? And Depring says, well, uh, Strawn wanted me, and I wanted him. Uh, Spock's like, I see no logic in preferring him. And she's like, you're famous. You're a legend on Vulcan now. And I didn't feel like being married to a legend. So, which is I, like kind of fair, it's and again, super fair. it's an arranged marriage. Yeah, sure, they had a yeah. psychic meld connection, but like, what's a well, you didn't get that yeah. with anyone if you spend enough time yeah. with them, and they didn't get to choose that, yeah. like, they were they were arranged to do that. Um, and so she says, You know, I knew that I could only divorce you this way, and if the captain were the victor, I would have Strawn because he obviously wouldn't want me. And if you won because I did something so unbelievably cruel to you, you wouldn't want want me. me. Oh, wow. In both cases, I would have Strawn. Dorothy Fontana wrote that. She she literally Um, is like, I had to be cruel to be kind. It was the only way for me to break up with you. By having me kill my friend? Well, yeah. Logically, that's the only way I had out of this. The contract fucking sucks. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And so he just says, he says, logical, flawlessly logical. And she replies, I am honored. I am honored that you have decided that what I did was flawlessly logical. Ah, 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 heroic Spock name proceeds him. Heroic Spock. And he bring he he turns to Strawn and says, she is yours, but you may find after a time that it is not so pleasing having a thing than wanting a thing. It is not logical, but often true. Mm. And Theodore Sturgeon, they had cut that line. That's a great line. But he... But he said, Sturgeon said, uh, now, usually I'm a very quiet and unaggressive person. I don't like to make trouble. But this time I just flipped out. I went roaring down to Bob Justman's office and just raised hell. After a little while, he began to understand what I was saying and jumped up and said, come with me. And we went right down to the editing room where they were cutting the episode. Oh, wow. And after some judicious trimming on the editor's part put that line back in they they it's the linchpin of the episode yeah like he's right um so spock gives the live long and prosper and she says it back and he just says i shall do neither because i have killed my captain my friend wow and he beams back up to the enterprise i uh he walks i do have to wonder 
in our theoretical universe here where this was a thing, would that be a really disappointing pay-per-view just to see like a fight right? end that quickly and you don't even, you yeah. know, there's no actual like kind of there's fucking, no fucking. At, you know, and like the two people that you thought like, oh, you thought Spock the legend was going to be here, but actually she goes with with Stong, like, ah, okay. Stong, like, who the fuck's that guy? Yeah. <laughs> so, back on the ship, Spock rocks, walks directly to sick bay, and is just like, hi, I have some final arrangements to make because I'm resigning and I obviously have to go to jail. There's no defense for what I did. I think there's a lot of defense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is. Did, but whatever. <laughs> like, um... And from behind him, you hear, that's right, the voice of Captain Kirk saying, don't you think you better check with me first? A great, great line. Loved it. Loved that reveal. I mean, obviously we knew he was fine, but it just was such a funny reveal for him to literally, like, come around a corner and be like, hello. Oh, hello. And Spock jumps up, jumps around. He has this huge smile and he goes, Jim. And then he immediately, like, controls himself like brings himself back together and is like and if we want to talk um, about the queer coding of this yes being so excited but having to to mellow it out so that other people don't realize emotionally how attached you are to this other dude Uh yeah yes yeah um and he's just like i'm pleased you are uninjured i am a loss i'm at a loss however to understand that's right mccoy had slipped drug a paralytic that would make him seem dead so that he could beam him back up on the ship. Well, I love it because the favorite part of it is that he did have the plan in case they came over and checked. Yeah. The paralytic would have shown that it looked like he's dead, yeah. but no one bothered to check. I mean, it, no. so it's like he could have done the acting, but they're like, no, we need a method this. You need to actually not be able to move. You really got to make this performance convincing, Kirk. And I don't know if you're that convincing. So yeah, let's just do it. But, but again, I also like that. I, did McCoy and Kirk have this plan together? Like, or was this just a presumably not just a uh, an audible called by McCoy who just was like, "Oh yeah. shit, good thing I keep this paralytic or paralytic on me at all times." Pretty much, <laughs> that is that's the assumption I have. Um, Although to be fair, maybe they had it because they were worried about Spock going off the handle, and so it was more about yeah, his own like trying true. to seduce. It. We don't really—they don't explain why he had it, but it yeah. just in the moment, yeah, he realized this is what we can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they ask for Nurse Chapel to leave the room for no reason other than the thruple needs their time, their private time together to yep. celebrate that they're in love with each other. Um. And that's uh, when we get a note from Starfleet that their request to go to Vulcan has been approved. So no one's in any trouble at all. <laughs> and Kirk is like, I can't remember the exact line because I thought like, well, it's a little bit late, but okay. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it worked. McCoy, our little ending quip is uh, McCoy says, there's just one thing, Mr. Spock. You can't tell me that when you first saw Jim alive, you weren't on the verge of giving us an emotional scene that would have brought the house down. And Spock says, "Mm, merely my quite logical relief that Starfleet has not lost a highly proficient captain. And Kirk's like, yes, Mr. Spock, I I understand. And Spock's like, thank you, Captain. And he's like, of course, Mr. Spock, your reaction was quite logical. Uh, and Spock's like, thank you, doctor. And then McCoy, under his breath, says, in a pig's eye. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm just like, what? 
that those words don't seem like they should follow what was preceded in there like it's like like mccoy says country style quip yeah (laughs) and kirk just says come on mr spock let's go mind the store oh and and we should note that the explanation given for why spock all of a sudden wasn't in um you know yeah. the mating the blood fever. is 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 because he thought he had killed Kirk. He and so he yes. he basically thought he killed his friend so he got an anti-boner and was like yes. oh i've been <laughs> my, i i might have blue balls but i have been brought down to reality by this i'm not so horny that i'm gonna forget that i just killed my friend yeah um it's just, it's such a great story. Uh, there's a great moment of editorializing in These Are the Voyages. There's just a picture of people on set. And the caption under it says, um, Shatner and Nimoy look towards director Joseph Pevney, while Martel and Lovsky and Montague seem to look towards Shatner for direction. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's a little bit of editorializing. Okay, but... Um, this episode like was nominated for Hugo Award. It is consistently rated as the best oh, episode yeah. uh, of Star Trek. I mean, if you go to the uh, Wikipedia, it has like a, an entire paragraph on all of these publications that name it all, within its top 10 at least. And mm-hmm, several of them, mm-hmm. as you said, yes, on the number one episode of the series. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I have one more little fact about things that happened on this episode um so lawrence finally did get to get back at leonard nimoy for all of the confusion um there was one time he said quote i was dressed in my costume with the ears and the whole nine yards when they called lunch so we went to the commissary a tour bus pulled up outside and unloaded all these tourists they came in and immediately made a beeline towards the table. Like, Mr. Nimoy, Mr. Nimoy, can we have your autograph? <laughs> I was sitting there going like, oh, my God, I don't want to embarrass anyone. So I, like, signed Nimoy's name. That's so funny. Uh, oh, my God. And then when we went back to set, Leonard was off, you know, sitting by himself meditating. And I walked over to him and said, Leonard. You won't believe the funniest thing happened. He looked up and grunted, and I told him how I was sitting in the commissary, and all these tourists came and took me for him and wanted an autograph. And I told them to go fuck themselves. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently Nimoy is a mortified face. He's like, oh, no. He's priceless. JK, JK, I I signed him for you. Yeah. Um, This is where I bring my facts into Please. it here which is the reason why i knew the beats for this it is is it, it, i mean it is one for one parodied in yes. the futurama episode why must i be a crustacean in love where zoidberg has mm-hmm. to go back to his home planet for his own mating rituals it's the same thing where he gets whole you know herculean strength where he hulks out mm-hmm. where uh in this fry um is the object of desire from the person that he wants to mate with so he challenges fry to a claw plock <laughs> is what claw they call her uh, and one of my favorite <laughs> jokes where they get to choose a weapon and, <laughs> and fry picks a uh a lobster claw tool. It's like the one that used like crushed lobster claws at a rest. Yeah. Uh, and it also ends with uh, the, the other person choosing someone else besides Zoidberg. But in that, they essentially, after they fuck, they die. 
And that's the whole deal. Yeah. They're all like, we don't want you to die, you know, uh, Zoidberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, oh, no, I ruined it. And then you see a bunch of bodies in the sea just all rising up. <laughs> but yeah, it, I, again, I was amazed at the level of parody. Mm-hmm. And to go one further, mm-hmm. I think T'Pau has to be one of the inspirations mm-hmm. for the the multi-career character, the grand yes. midwife, grand priestess, grand lunch lady, grand funeral director, grand parking validator, grand butterfly curator on um, Kif's home planet of Amphibious 9. Yes. So when T'Pau, literally when they started bringing T'Pau out and in the outfit, I was like, oh my god, that's another, I know this character too! It's not in the same episode um, as uh, the the Zoidberg one, but yeah, I was just like, this has to be like a craggy old character who's like, these oh, are yeah. our customs and these are our laws and I am the one responsible for enforcing them. Oh yeah, and given the amount of Star Trek parodying Futurama does, which is constant. Oh, yes. Um, she's definitely based on Tapau. Yeah. I did not even think of that, but you are absolutely correct. And and my final fact is, you just said it, and I, I made a joke about it earlier. Tapau is the name of an English band that they took from... What? Yes. There is... So I had heard the oh phrase Oh, my God, Tapau. I thought that was a joke. No, it was a joke, <gasps> but it was a joke based on reality. I saw that. I'm like, oh... I don't think Emily got that. So I'm like, I got to remember to bring that no. in fact at the end. Yes, there is an 80s <gasps> band called Tapau. And they had oh number God. one hits in the UK. So it <gasps> was like a big, and named after the episode, clearly, like spelled the same way. Yeah. So I'd heard English cultural references to Tapau before. And I had looked mm-hmm. them and be like, what is this thing? I didn't even know how to spell it. So then when I finally got to Wikipedia for it, and this was been years ago, uh, I noticed, oh, okay, it's named after a Star Trek thing. And it's named after... Um, a lady from like the mating episode thing. I'm like, what the hell? So I can't remember if I looked it up. Like, I don't think I looked up that specific episode, but yeah, I had just heard the name to thrown out there, mostly within, you know, jokes and stuff from comedians in Britain. And yeah. So when that character came out, I had forgotten, but then I was like, Oh, right. That's what this name comes from. But yes. um, Heart and soul is the biggest hit from to And it's, it's a, a nice little banger. I, I think I don't. I think we can get away with some of the Star Trek music. I don't want to put that song on there just in case people uh, kind Fair. of was copyright for it. But yeah, it's um, yeah, I would give it a listen. They're 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 a pretty good band. They're they're not. It's late '80s. It's not my type of music. It's a little too light. I like more heavy synth and crunchy stuff. But yeah, um, it just made me laugh that of all the names, like band names and their origins are all really weird, but T'Pau has to be one of my favorite ones. Oh, oh right. the craggly old matron lady from Vulcan. Let's just name ourselves after that. That's a good band name, yeah. T'Pau. Hmm. Yeah, she, the, the lady that's racist and <laughs> like homophobic yep. to Spock and his adorable thruple, his asexual thruple. I mean, we don't know if McCoy and Kirk, well, McCoy and Kirk are probably sexual, but, but you know, yeah, Fox I am so here. Watch, if that's the case. I am so here for that thruple. Um, it's pretty great, and that thruple did save Star Trek. Honestly, yeah. slash fiction saved Star Trek. That is why people were so excited to write letters to NBC, like because there was a massive zine culture around Star Trek yeah. where they wrote about these guys being fucking gay for each other, which is amazing, and. If only. I mean, you basically have, and if if you are a queer person who, mm-hmm. or a person who is attracted to men, whatever your sexuality that be, uh, those three have three archetypes that you can be yep. into. Like they are all yep. very different archetypes of like people that that they like. Like 
Bones is a daddy. <laughs> he is a daddy. Oh, yeah. Spock is like fucking handsome. And Kirk is obviously like traditionally drop dead, just mm-hmm, gorgeous, mm-hmm. you know. Just the charismatic um, leading man. Oh, yeah. You know, but it just, it it's so amazing. And you're right. This episode, uh, top shelf. This is a top tier mm-hmm. episode. One of the best that we've watched. It fl- flew by and it flowed mm-hmm. so well. There yes. is not a moment in this episode yes. that is superfluous. There is not mm-hmm. any filler where sometimes I feel like is none of the action yeah. is dragged out. Like it is a tight script that gives mm-hmm. us so much character development from Spock. And I'm really excited about that, like season, like stuff where you want in like a second season. Like this is the kind of thing, you oh, know yeah. these characters now, you've had, you've had your zines, you maybe got the toys, mm-hmm. you've been mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. the adventures of these characters already. So yeah, yeah, to start out with this, this is a banger of an episode oh. for us to begin with. Amazing. Absolutely incredible. Missy. Next week. Next week. Who mourns for Adonis? Adonias. Adonias, excuse me, Adonias. A fucking Percy. You didn't know Percy Shelley reference? Like, yeah. What? Yeah. With a, a word that that person made up, a word that Shelley made up. It just is so wild. I want to sure. know what this is about. And, well, I know the Greek <gasps> legend of uh, uh, Adonias, and which is. Using Adonis is fair. It gets the same exact yeah. point across. Um, it, it is as evocative of what is actually in the episode. And I just know that that person dies tragically. And I know that's kind of like the story of it is who mourns for it. So I don't know if this is something yeah. where it's about people being lost and like people grieving or what but like that's the only area i can put this guess this episode mm-hmm. might be is based on the title but yeah i'm really curious for it i hope i hope it's, i'm so excited i hope our streak continues. it is another really fun one it's another really beloved one um it is i mean it's not a mock time that's yeah, what it's so few can, episodes are not every um, episode can be in the top 10 yes but it is it's in a lot of people's top 10 lists um Ooh. it's a really beloved episode and it's an episode that i really like good I'm i excited. i always have really liked this episode um and i'm so so excited missy on this our maiden voyage of our season two, season two. star trek <laughs> Thank you, Captain Emily, as always, my God, for doing the work. I'm so happy that Santa brought you that book for Christmas. This big fucking book. This book, Amazing. These Are the Voyages, TOS Season 2, is bigger than my head. It's by Mark Cushman. If you are interested in Star Trek, I fully endorse people yeah. buying this book. That is it's like... not like It's not a popular book. Like It isn't easily accessible the way that books like usually are which i find so fucking ridiculous because it is written beautifully it has an incredible amount of information it is so lovingly put together um support it is as thick as a textbook it is i literally is amazing but yeah yeah and i look forward to hearing all those stories in the future and as always as we have seen today excuse me As we have seen in this episode, live long and prosper. Live long and prosper.